everyone. Welcome to episode 73 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are here today in New York City. Woohoo! We took the train in this morning. We're at the Science, Industry, and Business Library. Yes. We are just like, what, two blocks down from the Morgan Library and Museum. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but we were, Emily actually secured one of their private study rooms. We're moving up in the world. We are. (laughs) (laughs) We knew we were going to be in the city today and we wanted a chance to record and so I did some research and this is the only New York public library that has rooms that you can reserve. So here we are and it happened to be in a wonderful location so it's all good. Perfect for, for our tramping around today. That's right. Yeah. So before we get into our regular segments, we just wanted to give a big thank you to our new Patreon donor, Don. Thank you so much, Don. It really does help. We appreciate any donations that we can get. We do have bills to pay, believe it or not. (laughs) We do. (laughs) So if you would like to become a donor via Patreon, you can go to our Patreon page. Um, If you would like to donate to us directly, you can do that as well. And all that information is available at bookcougars.com. Yeah. And the information's also in the show notes. Yes. Well, thank you so much to everybody who contributes. We really appreciate it. What are you currently reading, Chris? I am currently reading, finally, Transcription by Kate Atkinson. This is a book that Russell of Ink and Paper Blog called out on one of his videos saying, Chris, I think you might actually like this book because it's set in two different time periods, like the 1980s and the 1940s. During World War II, this young woman, at the beginning, she's 18. Well, I should back up and say at the very beginning, she's an older woman in the 80s. But it kind of goes back and forth in time. And she was a spy for the Brits during World War II. And a young woman. I mean, she's like, you know, 18. She's, um, I won't say much about what she's doing because it's kind of fun as her role kind of changes a bit. I'm very early on in it, so I'm reading that. And then I'm also listening to Fascism by Madeline Albright, uh, the audio version of her book. And she narrates, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, she does. So it's great to hear her voice. I've always admired her. And this was a book for my book club that I didn't go to. It was last Friday. I was sick. Unfortunately, I had a sore throat and all that and didn't want to contaminate people. And then I I hadn't finished the book either, so I'm still plugging away with that. It's kind of depressing um, at this point, but hopefully she'll have some solutions. Yeah, that's helpful with a book like that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Exactly. How about you? I'm reading The Shortest Way Home by Miriam Parker. This is a book I heard about via our friend Chris, via Goodreads. And also, she was the winner of our last giveaway. And we had a little back and forth because we're going to be seeing each other at the Newburyport Festival coming up. She's moderating a panel on three books that have food and literature. Up your alley. Right up my alley. (laughs) And this is what I saw that is part of that set of three books, but she also gave it four stars on Goodreads. And I read the description of it and was like, oh, food, wine, Sonoma, love. I'm in 100%. (laughs) So I'm about 30% into it right now and just loving it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
What did you just read? I've read two things recently. One was a novel and the other was a nonfiction book. And I'll start with the nonfiction because it's a book that's available now. It just came out March 12th. It's The Trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson. So it's The Trial of Lizzie Borden. It is all about the trial. It doesn't go into a lot of before or after, although she does set the stage for what happened in the Borden household and what things were like in the Borden household, which also comes out more in the trial as well. But I was drawn to this book because Robertson has a PhD in English from Oxford University. She also has a law degree from Stanford. And I thought, okay, here's somebody who knows literature and law, and she's tackling one of the greatest trials in American history, certainly of the 19th century. And such a person, you know, Lizzie Borden, there have been so many stories about her in novels and adaptations, movies, whatnot. So I read it, and I was not exactly swept away by it. I should say I'm not exactly a, a trial person. Like reading trials does not excite me. See, that is like my real house. <laughs> and when I was reading it, I thought, huh, this might be, I could see somebody who's really into trials would really get into it. Mm-hmm. What I appreciated was that Robertson brings a lot of the trial, what do you call it? It's not a manuscript. What would you call it? The trial notes I don't know yeah I don't know what it's called what the exact term yeah. is for that transcripts maybe yeah it's yeah. Kind of transcripts yeah. and actual newspaper oh, writings wow. of that time like she follows a couple of the reporters because reporters were there from all over the country and had stations set up and you know all of these wires and everything they had like their own little area behind the courthouse so I I like that because uh, you know she just brings the whole spectacle of the trial to light too and how they had to create a wooden fence in front of the courthouse to keep people from rushing it every day. Because, I mean, just thousands of people were mobbing the place to to try and get in, to see it, and to see her. So that was kind of cool. Like, she does really kind of capture that, the drama of it all. Do you think because she was a lawyer, she got a little bogged down in the trial part? Like it was No, I don't think it's bogged down at all. Like it wasn't heavy reading at all. I'm just not a trial person. I'm just I'm just usually like I mean, I don't mind a trial. Like as we'll talk about, there was a trial scene in True Grit. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a trial scene in the K Mutiny that, you know, I I like small snippets, but this is all about a trial. So for somebody who's not into trials, it held my interest. I would give it a four-star review if I was into giving reviews stars, which I go back and forth on. (laughs) You hem and haw, as we say. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but it's, you know, it's just fascinating. You said that there's new information that she was talking about, but I think the only new information that I gleaned and that I hadn't heard of anyway, not that I'm an expert on Lizzie Borden by any stretch of the imagination, but the law firm that defended her they have the trial notes. They mm-hmm. have those law, the lawyer's notes from her and their conversations with her. So they're not releasing that information at all. They're, hmm. they're saying it's attorney-client privilege. privilege. Yeah. It is not for the public's consumption. And a lot of people are saying, like, come on, really? It's been way over 100 years, hmm. but they're not budging at this point. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, if they were to let that loose... 
Because one of the things was when Lizzie Borden was first interviewed by the police in her deposition, they did not allow that in the trial. Hmm. The judge said, no, I'm not going to allow it. Unfortunately, in Lizzie Borden, in that deposition, she contradicted herself left and right, told different stories about different things. So when I said it's just the trial transcript, it is also that other information that wasn't in the trial as I well. See. I think she was guilty, but it's not beyond, what is it, beyond a reasonable doubt? Right, yeah. So uh, that was the trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson, out now from Simon & Schuster. I finished Good Riddance by Eleanor Lippman, which is also out now, but I did get a review copy from NetGalley. I'm going to borrow a phrase from our friend Kate. I read a review of hers on Goodreads recently where she said, this was a solid okay. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I love that. Because, you know, you read books and you're like, I didn't love it. I enjoyed it. I did not mm-hmm. not like it. You know, it was just an easy, solid read, a yeah. good story, yeah. you know. And Eleanor Lippman is usually good for, you know, a good yarn, as they say. <laughs> I really did enjoy it. It was, I read it at a time where my work life was very busy and I couldn't read a book that was work in any way, you know, it just yeah. needed to be escape premise of it is about a young well I guess she's a middle age it's a little unclear actually how old she is a divorcee Daphne who's moved to New York City and um, she was and her mother has passed away and she was willed this high school yearbook that her mother cherished okay and her mother had been a teacher and the yearbook advisor at this school in I believe it was Rhode Island where um, Daphne was raised And she gets this yearbook. It's got notes from her mother because she would attend the reunion of this particular class of students every year. And she would jot down things about their progress in life. And at some moment, Daphne was having a Marie Kondo moment and started (laughs) clearing her apartment. And was like, I don't need this. And she trashed it. And then a fellow member, resident in her apartment, digs it out of the trash. (laughs) She happens to be a documentary filmmaker and decides that this is fodder for her next film. Talks Daphne into going to the next reunion of this class to see what she can dig up about these people. And secrets are revealed. I'm just going to say that. Um, The other cast of characters include her father, who, after his wife passes away, decides to live one of his life dreams, which is to relocate and live in New York City. So he doesn't live with his daughter, but, you know, he's a part of the cast of characters. And then there's some love interests and, (laughs) of course, the documentary filmmaker. So, again, a solid okay. I enjoyed it. It was an interesting premise, I Mm -hmm. have to say. And ultimately kind of became a love story. Good riddance, Eleanor Lippman. That's cool. I think saying it's an okay read. I think some people think that's almost like a bad thing to say. I don't know if the whole star inflation thing that we've talked about before that... Uh, you know, especially if you're a reviewer or a, a blogger, podcaster, like you have to praise everything to the yeah. high heavens. And that's not reading reality. Well, when I read what Kate wrote, I was like, that's exactly how I feel about so many books. Like mm-hmm. my escape books, right. you know, it's like, I know this isn't highfalutin li- literature, Yeah. you know, and or it might be a story that's already told. I mean, they say most stories are, right? There's just some twist or turn. Well, that's what Willa Cather said. There's only... <laughs> Two or three stories that got repeatedly told. Yeah. So if someone has an interesting spin or an interesting character or, Mm -hmm. you know, a better sex scene than another, you know, or 
I'm all in. So I love that description. Thank yeah, you, Kate, for awesome. letting me steal it. <laughs> well, the, the novel that I read is one that's not coming out until April 30th, but put it on your calendars, everybody. It's The Invited by Jennifer McMahon. It's coming out from Doubleday. And thank you to, I think I got it from NetGalley. I was looking around for a novel to read. I had picked up a couple that were really good, but they just I just wasn't in the mood for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two or three novels. And then I saw that, and I thought, I've always wanted to read one by Jennifer McMahon. And I'm so glad I did, because it drew me in and really held me. It's a ghost story. It's a haunted house story, let's put it that way. But it's the, the haunted house is a house that a couple is building in Vermont. Oh. So it's not like it's an old house. Um, so but it's, it's a, a new haunting. Yeah. It's the story <laughs> of this husband and wife who, the they're teachers, they're school teachers in Connecticut. They have a fine life together. They just bought a new condo. Everything's going pretty well. Her father had died and had left some money. So when his estate is wrapped up, they're kind of talking like, oh, it's kind of enough for us to, to go and do whatever. And so... They wanted to get out of... I, I do have to have one bone to pick with Jennifer McMahon because she presents Connecticut as if it's like one big suburb. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but anyway. So they wanted to get out and kind of do their own thing. He's really into nature. He's a naturalist. And the wife... I don't remember their names, sorry, but she's really into history. She's a history teacher. So they look around, they can't really find an old house that they like that's, you know, in good enough shape for the money that they have. So they do find some land in Vermont that's cheap enough that they could buy and still build their house. And the land that they buy, though, most of it is taken over by a bog that's not buildable, but there's this nice section to put a house. And they they buy the land, they start building the house, and then they start hearing the stories of a witch that was hung oh, in creepy. the bog in the 1920s. Mm. So not the, you know, the witch trials from colonial days or anything. So is this, a, you know, is it really haunted? Is it really a witch? Is it just local people? There's also a young girl in the property next to them who does not want them building there mm. because she has her own obsession with this land that has to deal with her mother who has gone missing. So it's just kind of creepy in a good way. Yeah. It really is. I, like, I, I don't want to say too much about it because the unfolding is just such a pleasure to read. Yeah. So if you're in the mood, and there's not like a lot of, there's not like blood and guts really, although, yeah. you know, it is somebody was hung and there are other things that happen hanged, right? Isn't it hung, mm. hanged? I don't remember. I know one of those is <laughs> yeah. proper. Um, but it's just a fun haunted house slash ghost story. That's The Invited by Jennifer McMahon coming out April 30th. And she does have a backlist. Mm-hmm. So if you can't wait till that date. And she also was a Booktopia author. Yeah. So she's from Vermont. She lives up there. So she knows her, her Vermont land. Yeah. So I don't know if any of that's a... An experience she's had, some little hauntings. You know what? It is a little... Well, oh, the haunting I don't know about, but 
building their own place. Yeah, she yes. built her own yeah. house. And, yeah. Well, I finished The Wartime Sisters by Linda Cohen Leugman. This also was not a five-star read, but an enjoyable read. I definitely got lost in the characters. It's based on two sisters in early World War II that are living um, in the Brooklyn area, I believe, Brooklyn, New York. And it's a little bit tropey, like one of the sisters is beautiful and one of them isn't beautiful and the older one is the one that's not beautiful. And, you know, people do say rude things and pay attention to the beautiful people in the world. And so... She was having problems with, you know, dating men and wanting to get married. And as soon as she brought the boy home, he would fall for the sister, that sort of stuff. So she had a lot of anger towards her younger sister, the beautiful one, Mm -hmm. and ended up marrying a man. And then the interesting part of the story to me that was, it's a historical fiction novel that is based on truth, is that she and her husband end up moving up to Springfield, Mass., to the the armory. There was an armory there during World War II where they manufactured bullets and guns. And she was working there. The husband was working there and the wife was working. She had more of like an office job. Mm-hmm. And they end up having a family. And she doesn't completely disown her sister, but she's happy to not have her sister in her life. Their parents pass away. The sister, the beautiful sister who's Mother had built up her life as if, you know, her life was going to be perfect because of her beauty would win her everything in life. Her life didn't turn out so great and ends up moving with her child up to the Springfield Armory to live with her sister. So it's a lot of family drama or drama, as I like to say. (laughs) Like I said, there there were plenty of tropes. There was nothing that really surprised me in the book, Mm -hmm. but I read it from start to finish and... And did enjoy it. Great. So I recommend it. The Wartime Sisters, Linda Cohen Boigman. I read, you You only read the two, right? I yeah. didn't mean to say it like that. I know, really, I'm a slacker. <laughs> I took a couple plane rides, so I got more, more reading in. I also read Passing by Nella Larson. Oh, yeah. That was your book This was club for a book club. club. Yeah, and she, this was first published in 1929. And it's one of those books that's being republished in those Penguin Classic. Penguin Classics. Classics. They're putting new covers, beautiful covers on them. And thank you to Penguin who who sent me this copy. It was a very quick read. It's very short. And I guess Nella Larson was a very prominent author during the Harlem Renaissance. And a very cool, interesting aside, I was visiting Aunt Ellen this weekend, and her... New York Public Library, literally right outside her building, is the Seward Park Library. And she and I had spent a day together and had done nothing bookish. (laughs) So we were literally about to step into her house, and she was like, I feel like you need to get your hands on books somehow. (laughs) And I have never, in the over the decade that I've come to visit her, have never gone into her library. So we went in, we go up to the second floor, and there's this beautiful sketch of all these different authors one of which is Nella Larson because she was a librarian at that oh library gosh, from out. 1923 to 1924 it's amazing it was so cool so I have the picture of the poster and I will post it on social media cool. and on our website yeah it was very cool the premise of this book the title passing is about light-skinned black woman passing for white and she makes the choice to move out of her Harlem neighborhood. Actually, I, I shouldn't say it was her choice. When she was a 
teenager, her um, father, who she lived with, passed away, and she got sent to live with relatives in Chicago. They were living in Harlem, New York. And she was friends with this other woman who was a dark-skinned black woman and ends up, she and her husband do very well in life and do a lot of entertaining in Harlem and are really living a very exciting life there. Take a trip to Chicago and she runs into this woman, Claire, the light-skinned black woman who's now passing as white and married to a very bigoted man. Wow. Yeah, and so her life has turned in a much different direction but she comes back to New York to visit and starts to realize that she's living a much different life than she'd like to be living and actually misses the life that she led in New York. So it's a very interesting investigation of the idea of passing for white and the difficulties that that brings into your life. But very quick read. Just I, I just really enjoyed it. It makes me want to read more from her. Yeah. So. I'm looking forward to reading with my book club. We we delayed. We were supposed to talk oh, okay. this last weekend, and we didn't. Because so. it's funny, because I watched Russell, mm-hmm. a Megan paper blog, and he was talking that he had to get on the two books that yeah. you guys were reading. Cause... And then I couldn't meet this last <laughs> weekend, so everything got de- delayed, which worked out for the best for all of us, I think. So at least that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. So <laughs> again, Passing by Nella Larson. There's also several different covers and they're putting out another edition in November, they told oh. me, of 2019, which Interesting. I'm not sure why, because I thought my cover was the more recent one. But Is there a movie coming out or something? Or? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I didn't mm-hmm. investigate that. Interesting. And then the other book I read, which was just a treat, I actually purchased it, which I rarely <laughs> do, Where the Crawdads Sing by oh, Delia yeah. Owens. This is, book is getting so much press, so I don't feel like I need to over-talk it, but it's the Reese Witherspoon pick, I think, and mm-hmm. some things like that. So Reese Witherspoon has a book club, I should say. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to be made into a movie. And the premise is about a young girl who's left to live and survive on her own in the marsh of North Carolina. Delia Owens is a published author already. This is her debut novel, but she's published many works of nonfiction about being a naturalist in African, sub-Saharan Africa. So her nature writing is off the chains. I mean, it is spectacular, Chris. And living, we live on a salt marsh, right? In Guilford, the estuary where we live is all salt marsh. Beautiful bird life. And this woman survives, young woman, because she can harvest oysters and do all of that. But what's really compelling about the story is that the townsfolk know that she's there by herself. But they choose to other her, as they say, Mm. you know. And so eventually, you know, the book is a lot about solitude and loneliness. And then how do you learn to interact with people when you pretty much have lived a life where you interact with nature. Mm. What surprised me about the book, and I do not want to do any spoilers, but that it is a mystery. I was not expecting that. There's a little trial scene. I was bowled (laughs) over with joy when I came to that part. So it was very surprising on many levels. Very cool. I highly recommend it. Complete page turner. And also, our friend Allison Law interviewed Delia on her podcast, Literary Atlanta, on episode 45, yeah. before, I believe, the book was a big, yeah, you know, hit. Yeah, yeah, I think it was back in August. So I highly recommend you listen to it because it was really interesting 
you know, why she placed the book geographically where she did, because she grew up in Georgia and has lived in Africa, and I think she lives in Idaho now or something. So she didn't place it there because of her living there or mm-hmm. anything like that. I loved it. Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. And then I just realized I read one other one. What I just didn't highlight it. What else did you read? Um, the Hot Young Widows Club, <laughs> Lessons on Survival from the Front Lines of Grief by Nora McInerney, oh. who is the host of the Terrible Things for Asking podcast. Mm-hmm. This is a very short, like, gobble it up in an hour book. It's published by Simon & Schuster, but it's the TED imprint. So it's books, I believe, that come about from people's TED Talks. Oh, okay. And she gave a TED Talk on grief. Mm. She lost her father, her 35-year-old husband, and her second baby to miscarriage in the space of, like, three weeks or oh something. Oh, my God. So she's become quite a grief expert. She's written another memoir that I talked about on the podcast before, which, of course, I can picture the cover. It's it's okay to... Uh, crying is okay. It's oh, terrible. It's I okay to laugh. <laughs> crying is okay, too. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'll put it in the show notes. She yeah. has a new memoir coming out, like, any minute also. But this book is really like a guide to grief both being a grieving person but also how to interact with people who are grieving you know and I've kind of learned over the years now in my middle age I've come across a lot of grief and death and things in my life but I remember being particularly a young person and a young woman in my town my age up here I grew up with husband died suddenly overnight literally she was the mother of two young children like me And I crossed the street the first time I saw her after he died because I just didn't know what to say, you know. Mm -hmm. Now I know what to say, but that's from experience, you know. But this book is, she's hilarious and irreverent, and she just talks about, like, what are the good things to say and the not good things to say? And and also as being a grieving person, for you know, like, don't be writing thank you notes and, you know, things like that. Like, allow yourself to just be grieving, you know. So... Anyway, The Hot Young Widows Club, Lessons on Survival from the Front Lines of Grief, Nora McInerney. Good. I just wanted to give a shout out to three books that are out now that we talked about in the past. They all came out on March 5th. It's The River by Peter Heller, which we both read and loved. A Student of History by Nina Revoir. And then The Last Woman in the Forest by Diane Lebeck. And it was a great outdoorsy mystery those are all three really good books we recommend. Yeah, get They're on available it. now. Awesome. Biblio Adventures. We went on one together. We did. We went to see Roxanne Gay uh, with a group of others, which was really writers. fun. Yep. Yeah. That um, was at the Battelle the... Chapel in, on Yale's campus. Beautiful. Chapel. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So beautiful. Old, beautiful, yeah. yeah, like classic, you know, New Englandy. So should I go over the people that? Sure, she was please. so. Yeah. Um, it was Audrey Hirsch, Tressie McMillan Cotton, Saeed Jones, Teresa May Mayer, and then it was moderated by Melanie Boyd, who I believe is part of the creative fiction department at Yale. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure about that. So they all have books out, which we won't mention, but we will note those in the show notes for you. Yeah, so they were talking about trauma, mm-hmm. how to write about trauma in 
a healthy way, like in a way where you're not cannibalizing yourself. Mm -hmm. Or traumatizing others. Yes, or traumatizing others. Or writing for somebody else's kicks. And that's part of the whole cannibalizing yourself. Right. I mean, one of the things they talked about is that in this day and age, you can kind of become the new viral thing because you write about something that's just you, really a, appealing to people but not necessarily in a healthy way. Right. But as a for your writing life, that's not really going to necessarily serve you well in your future. Right. Uh, yeah, cuz I think I'm not sure who used the term, but they called it a, it's like a trauma zoo mm-hmm. going on right now where they want like they meaning like online sources publishers like trauma is hot right now so they want stories and a lot of people are writing these stories that are way too raw you can tell like people haven't processed Mm -hmm. their own experience yet and that stuff's out there now Mm -hmm. like forever right and just that by putting things out too early you can traumatize yourself again re-traumatize yourself. Saeed Jones talks about that, that like the memoir that he has coming out, which is one of the hot editor picks for Book Expo, he wrote this thing like I think over 10 years ago and he's been working on it though and he wanted to publish right away but he said he had wise counselors around him, mentors who cared about him who said no, you're not ready like you, you know and he's so grateful for that now right. because now he understands having more time away from the experience to present it in a way that is going to be helpful for others right. and not detrimental to himself. Because a couple writers like Roxanne, and, and he also talked about when they write, they often look at parts of their past when they could have used a wise voice to help them in moments of fear or shame what would they have liked somebody to say to them when they were in that point? And that's what they kind of write towards. And and Roxanne was very specific, and she said, I don't think about an audience when I'm writing. I just think about myself. And I think she has to do that, particularly in, in her essay writing, because she writes very provocatively, but from the heart and speaking truth, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. So it's not always just her. I don't think she was just referring to her trauma writing when she said that. I think it was her right. writing in general. Yeah, because she has said on multiple occasions that there are some things she will not write about. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's one thing you need to figure out for yourself or what are your boundaries? Mm-hmm. Because they, like, if you start getting hot, they will take everything mm-hmm. and they will ask you for more and more and more. So you have to know where your boundaries are. Right, and I think um, Tressie was saying, I, I haven't read her book, but she has a book that I believe is a book of essays where she talked about the death of her daughter. And she said she forever since gets mail from readers who are like, you need to tell us more details. Details, Why didn't you tell us the details of, you know, Mm -hmm. the demise of your daughter? And she's like, because those are my private details. And that doesn't inform the story I was trying to tell you about Mm -hmm. this experience, you know. But she said people are relentlessly asking her for that. You know, yeah. so I think it's good that you you have the boundaries in place around you to know. Mm-hmm. And um, some of that, I imagine, just comes from maturity. You know, like Saeed said, looking back on where you've been, yeah. you know. Yeah, I was talking with a friend recently who was talking about writing about the death of a loved one and that she's probably going to do that 
as fiction mm-hmm. because it's some it's too personal yeah. to, to put it out there as a nonfiction right thing. So yeah. yeah, so boundaries. Yeah, it was a great evening. I will say that Chris and I got the giggles at one point because all of them were mic'd. <laughs> yes. And the moderator was one of those people that did, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when you're mic'd, it comes <laughs> across, yeah. And being people who speak into mics and had to learn the hard way, like, we had, trust me, plenty of our early episodes where, you know, we were humming and ooing and aahing <laughs> at each other, where it's like, that's not fun to listen to. No. So it was kind of funny. She was a great moderator, she was a great I would moderator, say, but yeah. that part, we well, wanted someone to whisper, like, <laughs> just cut her mic off when other people are talking. And so. we did feel a bit bad, because Emily and I did have to leave before the event was over, but we had to catch our train. Yeah. Well, I mean, in true Roxanne fashion she's always so generous with the q and a's i mean i don't think she was going to leave that building till everybody got a chance to ask their questions exactly and when they said well let's take like two or three more questions and our train was going to be pulling out in like 10 minutes yeah. we were like wow we need to we gotta we gotta we wrap gotta this go. up but great event if, yeah if you have the opportunity to see roxanne gay in person she is really a wonderful wise person to to listen to and um, I just love the way she answers questions. She just seems so, so honest and sincere. Mm-hmm. Very thoughtful. And and she doesn't know something she says I don't know about, yeah. which is you know always refreshing. Yes. <laughs> well, I also got to go see the play Tiny Beautiful Things at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, which I had never been to. It's a cool theater in a kind of industrial building you'd never know is there. And this is based on the Cheryl Strayed book of the same title. For years, she authored the Dear Sugar advice column. And this book was, I listened to it actually when I read it, and she narrates, and it's an incredible experience. I highly recommend it. And the reason I really wanted to go to the play was to see how in the heck are they going to put this on as a play. And the person who adapted it, for the stage was Nia Verdalis. I think that's how you say her name from my big fat Greek wedding fame. And it was really well done. Just really well done. There's only four actors and one plays Cheryl Strayed sitting and kind of hearing the other people talk through these letters they write to her. And then she responds. It had really cool staging and it's over in New Haven, but it is touring the country. So if you get the chance, I highly recommend it. If you haven't read it or listened to it, it's great, and it makes a fantastic gift. Great graduation gift, which is around the corner. So It is, indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. so I highly recommend it. Yeah, I caught a play, too, The Revolutionists by Lauren Gunderson. It was really excellent. I really had no idea what to expect, but, and it's not, ba- it's a you know, original play. And Lauren Gunderson is the most produced playwright in America right now. So I saw it up at the Playhouse on Park in West Hartford. It was really excellent. It's over now, sorry, but fantastic play. It's set during the French Revolution, but it has so much to do with feminism and race and class and creativity, Mm. and I just really enjoyed it. It was a great production. So look for it online. Maybe it's going to tour. You know what? One of my friends in Chicago, I think they're High school is putting on, oh, they're staging it. Yeah. So it looks like it's a play that does get around. <laughs> makes makes tracks. Yeah, right. 
The other thing I came across very unexpectedly and really enjoyed that I just want to call people's attention to is I listened to the New York Public Library Library Talks podcast episode 255, which was the Maria Popova's introduction of that book Velocity of Being that oh, I talked about, cool. I think, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. The one where famous people, and some not so famous people, were asked to write about what reading means to them. And it was a really cool episode. It was live, obviously. And they had people who had authored some parts of the book come in and read it. And the book had just come out, so they also hadn't seen the illustration that went with their writing. So a lot of them stood up and said, you know, like, oh, I think I got the best illustration in the book. And and it was really cool to hear them read their own parts. There were some live music segments and stuff. So... I, I really enjoyed it, and it was so fun to just happen upon it. So, again, um, that was episode 255, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. Nice. Well, I went to an author home. Uh, Laura and I took a ride to see Bill and Lois Wilson's home called Stepping Stones, which is in Katona, New York, which is in Westchester County. And it was really cool. So Bill Wilson, Bill W., He's one of the founders of AA, so he wrote most of the big book and 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, things like that. Very prolific writer, and Lois is credited as being one of the founders of Almon. And their home, so they, they got this house through generous terms from a friend, because they were pretty much homeless for quite a while, or a couple years anyway at least. They're... Dates. They were both born in the late 19th century. Bill was a young man during World War One, and he had his first drink sometime uh, during his army days, and that was the end. He drank very heavily until the. Well, I won't go into the whole story about the Oxford group and then early Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's a fascinating story, and there's some great biographies. Susan Cheever wrote a good biography of Bill W. And there have been movies made, adaptations and everything. But their home, so Bill W. passed away in the 70s, and his wife preserved their home, which was the headquarters of Almond for the longest time, as a museum because she knew there was interest. There are already people coming. So when she passed away in the 80s, the foundation was already created, and it's open for tours. You, They have a daily tour that you actually have to make a reservation on, because they do get booked up. Okay. Uh, so we were lucky and we got in on that reservation. So you get a tour of the home and then also of his writing studio called Wits End. Oh, which I think that's is a great, great name for it. <laughs> because so many people were coming all the time mm. to their home that and he was trying to write, so that's why they built that little writing retreat for him out there. So that was a really fun venture. I think it was only like maybe an hour away. It's not that far away from where we are here in Connecticut. I bet it was a pretty drive, too. Very pretty drive, and uh, we spent a little time walking around the town of Katona, which is adorable. Mm. It's a quaint little town that's been around forever, Uh, and uh, it's also known, which I didn't realize this until later, but Martha Stewart owns her big estate that's there in the area. Okay. I mean, I know Westchester County's known for some... Wealth and yeah. famous people. So, yeah, well, she yeah. has her, her big place there. So Katona, though, is a cute little town. We went to the library, of course. Nice. It's very adorable. Cool. That, that sounds was fun. Like fun. And then the other thing, I just wanted to give a shout-out to a new 
used and rare bookstore in New Haven called Gray Matter. I was walking around one day and happened to look to my left in time to see a bookstore. I was like, whoa. I didn't... That's great. Yeah. I so I walked in and I, I was telling Emily, I walked in and I started browsing and I heard somebody say, when did you open? And the bookstore said, oh, like just maybe two weeks ago. So I thought, okay, good. Like, because I thought, did I not see this before? All these like, years? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's right on, near the corner of like Eastern York. So it's right there, Yale campus. Really neat selection. Uh, they had a lot of religion, history literary theory fiction they also had some decent mysteries vintage stuff oh cool uh good foreign language section so used and rare nice yep gray matter check it out and then chris and i just are hot off of a trip to the morgan library we went when we got off the train we went right to the morgan because they have a jrr tolkien exhibit right now that's fantastic oh my gosh we had a moment of like maybe we shouldn't go we don't have much time and then it's 22 dollars to get in and we had another moment of maybe we shouldn't go but <laughs> oh my god oh my so gosh awesome. so amazing yeah so this it's called maker of middle earth is the t- exhibit exhibition title it runs until may 12th so you have so, some time to get there. yeah if you can get here to new york city to see it it's so worth it and it is free if you're looking for a free entry time on Fridays from 7 to 9, 9 p.m. Yeah. And they did tell Chris that they've been packed on yeah. the weekends. Um, so. They said that the weekends are nuts and they have timed tickets on the weekends. So some people would come at like 4 to try and and they, they already sold out. Yeah. So do plan ahead if you can only make it on the weekends. I'd say arrive early and, and get the soonest tour that you can. Yeah. But and you, it was crowded in there, but yeah. I mean, it didn't prevent us from being able to read everything. Yeah. And, you just have to kind of, if you want to read everything, which I think we both did, yeah. reading all the plaques that go along with the artifact or manuscript, you do have to kind of go along at other people's pace, but yeah. it's so worth it to yeah. see. I mean, he created languages. He, you know, the elfish, elfish language. He did a lot of illustrating. He illustrated this whole world with maps. With maps. And they have images. lots of pieces of that. They also have a lot of information just about his childhood and pictures of his family, his kids. Yeah. He was apparently a wonderful husband and father. And they say that the book is really an ode to his love of his wife in a lot of ways, right? Well, the the, the final... Well, the book that he first wrote that came out last. Yeah. <laughs> Is that well, the way to say it? Yeah, and I guess he started telling these stories to his children, and his children weren't very happy. Right, that when they their, were bed, their bedtime stories got published <laughs> yeah. and made famous, right. you know? Yeah, but one interesting thing about him, he, he was orphaned when he was about 12. His dad died when he was four, and then his mom died when he was, I think, 12. Of diabetes. Of diabetes, which was an untreated condition back then. And his, his guardian, guardian was a priest. Right. And when the priest found out he was seeing this girl, he forbade him from seeing her until he was of age, which was considered 19. So he had to wait three years Right. To see with her, to, to get with her, to and see she her. And she was with somebody yeah, else so at that time. Yeah, so she was engaged to somebody <laughs> else by then, but he was persistent and won her over, and they were married. Yeah, and yeah. had four children. And he was a professor, right? Yeah, For he years. was a linguistic yeah. professor, which, you know, he was 
obviously very talented with languages. And so he also uh, was a medieval, he studied Old English and Middle English, which is a foreign language to our modern English for the most part, especially Old English. He just was very good with languages. He taught himself Norwegian when he was younger and some other languages. He said he, I guess they, the, one of the cards said that he loved the way Nor, Norwegian felt on the tongue to pronounce certain things. And I've heard some people say who are trying to learn that language, it's like talking with a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, the exhibit was fantastic. Yeah. And it's the only time this exhibit is going to be in North America. Most of the manuscripts were um, from the Bodleian Library. In Oxford. Some of them, we noticed, were from Marquette. University. Yeah, yeah in which, Milwaukee. Yeah, which is interesting. Which was interesting, too. I don't know if that was, like, the Catholic connection somehow yeah, or, or a collector. I mean, they even yeah. had one of theirs was the original sketch of the jacket cover oh, that he did. Yeah. It's like, how did Marquette get that? It's kind of funny. Yeah, but, so yeah. interesting to see. But they had uh, in different jacket covers that he sketched out, which I, I really liked that part. Yeah. And just, he would doodle too. He doodled on newspapers and mm-hmm. they had a bunch of those doodles there. Yeah. Chris got to see his, what do you call them, the pen? Oh, his t- pen nibs. Pen nibs. Yeah, they, yeah. Had a, they had a couple boxes of his colored pencils and then a tobacco tin of his fountain pen nibs. Right. Yeah. Which is cool. Sadly, we weren't allowed to take pictures. But yeah, and the guards are on it. They are. As are the guards at this I library, know. I should say, because Chris and I almost got kicked out of the library before we even started because we had just purchased hot beverages to sip on to keep our throats soft and supple for recording. And the guard was like, uh, no. And so Chris stood and drank some of hers while I got our reserved room, and then we went back and I tried to sneak mine in. I did because I was like, Emily, there's a different guard now. So like, <laughs> so she had her coffee with the program from the Morgan kind of covering it, and the other guard was just standing at the right angle. Came over, out of the corner of the library. She was, was like, like uh, "Ladies, no." Yeah. And we're like, Damn. we almost got kicked out before we got started. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're parched. Yeah, we are. <laughs> We're parched and we're not very good liars. <laughs> no, I am not made for a life of crime. That gets proven over and over in my life. Upcoming adventures. We have an exciting one tonight. We do. That is one of the prime reasons why we're in New York today. We are heading to the 92nd Street Y where we're going to catch up with Aunt Ellen and Kate to see... Authors Richard Powers and Barbara Kingsolver in conversation together regarding their two books, The Overstory and Unsheltered. Yeah. I don't frequently pat myself on the back, but I have to say (laughs) that months ago when I read both those books, I said these are great companion reads. Yeah. And then lo and behold, here they are. We spotted that event like, what, five months ago? Like we've had these tickets forever. Yeah. So I am over the moon excited to be hearing what these two have to say to each other yeah. tonight. So Great. I'm looking so, forward to it. And I haven't read either novel, so. Yeah, which is. I like going to yeah. author events where I, well, I guess I have read something by King Solver. I read her nonfiction, The Animal Vegetable Miracle yeah. Mineral. I don't remember. Miracle. No, I'm the is one that keeps saying. Okay. Oh, wait. I don't know. <laughs> I always say the wrong thing. Anyway, uh, but okay. um, I, I think it's fun to go to a, to see author events where you haven't read oh, me too. the author ever even because yeah. you just you learn so much about them and it could turn you on to the reading them or you mm-hmm. could be like, okay, I'm good. 
Well, that event we went to with Roxane Gay, I wanted to read each of their... I hadn't read any of them except for Roxanne, and I wanted to read everybody's books. Right. So, yeah. Which I haven't gotten to yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wanted to shout out two other big events coming up. We're, we are going to go long this episode because we have our True Grit read-along to chat about, so I'm not going to talk about the different authors coming to these, but... April 26th and 27th, the Newburyport Literary Festival. Um, this is the festival where there are there's a ticketed event on Friday night, but then the main event is Saturday. There's lots of different tracks. There's a nonfiction, a poetry, a kids, a fiction. There are more authors than you can possibly see in the course of a day, but it is so fun. The town is really cool. There's a cool bookstore there called Jabberwocky, and... It's a great time. It's free. I highly recommend it. They have a website, which we'll put in the show notes. And then Booktopia, Booktopia. Northshire Bookstore in Manchester, Vermont, hosts this every year. It's May 3rd and 4th this year, which is a Friday and a Saturday. Again, we're not going to go over all the authors. There's a lot of them. Really compelling lineup this year. It's a ticketed event. You need to get your tickets, but part of the cost of the ticket comes back to you as a gift card you can use to spend at this bookstore, which, trust me, you could spend the yes. entire weekend at this bookstore without any bookstore. author events. Yeah. So really fun. There's fun places to eat there, great places to stay. Places to hike, yeah. other stores to go shopping if you want to come with your significant other or family. I mean, it's really a fun town. It's a great weekend, actually, if you happen to be partnered with someone who's not a bookish person. Mm -hmm. You really can go to this event all weekend, and they can enjoy themselves in the town or bike riding or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Or come by fishing. yourself. There's the Fly Fishing Museum of North America oh, right. there. And Orvis. So there's a huge Orvis, which is a yeah. fly fishing store. And they do fly fishing lessons. You see people standing yeah. out in the field. It's funny. Working yeah. on their casting or flicking whatever they call it for fly fishing but okay. also if you're a novice to booktopia and you've never been it truly is an event you can go to by yourself and you will not feel lonely or alone right even though it's a bunch of introverts you're all wearing name tags and you've read some of the similar books and it's a really fun time yeah just say to somebody it's my first time and they will be like oh honey yeah and they'll take you under yeah you will never have yeah. to eat a meal alone if you don't want to exactly yeah <laughs> Um, and then the only other event coming up I wanted to point out is April 6th is another readathon. So if you want to stay home and just do nothing but read, we'll put their link in the show notes as well. You can, you know, mess around online, all the different social media platforms. You can check in with other readers and just connect that way. Give a day over read. to reading and yeah. have, no, you don't have to make any excuses. Exactly. to our big True Grit read-along discussion. Yes. So this is our, is this our ninth read-along? I, I think. I think it's our ninth read-along. You know, we posted that we wanted to read a Western. We started our, um, a Goodreads, what do you call discussion it? Discussion page. page or, yeah, yeah, whatever on Goodreads. And we hadn't chosen a book. And we got great recommendations from our librarian friend, Carol. Because originally we were going to do a Western with a nonfiction. We kind of came to reality about how much reading time we had, but several great recommendations. And Karen is the one that recommended True Grit. Hmm. I think we had also thought about True Grit, and um, so we decided to try that try one. Try True Grit. I'm so glad we read this one. 
I loved it. I loved it. it, too. Yeah. I really did. I loved Maddie's voice. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. The author of all things watches over me, and I have a fine horse. Right. Maddie's the 14-year-old protagonist. Yes. If you haven't read it, you could just skip this part, or because it's going to be spoiler-rich since yeah. it's a read-along. But so her dad is killed by a hired man. And she said, A hired man that works for them. That works not for like the a dad. hired gun. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he was a hired hand for the family. Right. And in a drunken rage, he shoots the father dead in a town where they were off on business. And Maddie sets off to pick up his body, but then avenges death. Right. She's bent on that happening. And when she finds out that the killer has taken off to Indian territory, where local law enforcement can't do anything, she asks the sheriff, well, who are the best U.S. Marshals? Because U.S. Marshals are the ones who have jurisdiction out there. Which made me think about Wild Bill Hickok. There was a lot of crossover between that biography that I read recently oh, and yeah. this book. It was interesting. So she finds the nastiest one. <laughs> <laughs> what is his name? Rooster Cogburn. Rooster Cogburn. I loved his name. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and she is in partner. Well, she hires him. But he, when, when she hires him, he doesn't realize that she intends to go along on the adventure. Yeah. And is shocked to find out that that's her plan. Yeah. That he's going to take this 14-year-old girl along with him. Right. You know? Yeah, and then along comes the Texas Rangers, who is a little bit of a... Texas Rangers have that depiction of, of being honorable and noble and right. holier than thou in some ways that he's kind of made fun of. And his name is Leboeuf. Leboeuf. That's Le how Beef. I pronounced it, Leboeuf, until yeah. I watched the movie and it was Labeef. Labeef, of course, from Texas, <laughs> Labeef. That was, that's really funny. And he doesn't want her to come along either, but she does. Right, and they try to ditch her <laughs> right away. They set off and they try to ditch her and she get just rides her horse up the side of a mountain, essentially, through over through, a river. Through a river, right. You know, and catches up with them, much to their chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then, so, like, it's, like, true grit. I mean, she says to uh, Rooster, you know, I hear that you're a man who has true grit. Mm -hmm. But she's the one in right. the end. I mean, they all have grit. You have to have grit to survive in the wild in that time period, I think. Yeah. But really, you know, a 14-year-old... Who, I mean, she had grit in her family because she was kind of the financier of her family. She kept the books for her dad's business and stuff. And mm -hmm. obviously her mother sent her off to fetch her father's body because well, she, she had two young infant, right. yeah, yeah, siblings baby. at home. Yeah. And with another farm helper went with her to fetch her father. And she kind of sent him back home with, with her body. dad's body and said, I'm... Going off, and she did it because she wanted to be sure that he was that the the gentleman who murdered her father was brought to justice, yeah, yeah. taken to task for what he did, yeah. and she wanted to know for sure, experiencing it in her with her own eyes, right. And I think she thought he would be taken to court, right? But really, I never quite knew that if she expected that he would just be killed. Or taken to court. Yeah, well, you know, that beginning scene when they first get to... Is it Fort Lewis? Is that the name of the town? You know, there's the hanging of mm -hmm. the three men. That was the hardest part of the who book Who were for there me. for being... For, for murder, at least mm -hmm. one of the guys was. I've never understood why people went to public hangings as entertainment and fodder for their life. Yeah, it's been a 
tradition forever. Yeah. I mean, people like let's pack a picnic and go yeah. watch. You know, a spectacle. Yeah, I just don't. Get, I mean, I think it's the same. It's I think it you can connotate it to why people watch shows like CSI now. Mm-hmm. It's like they want to know that they're safe from the world and that bad things get tidied up and taken care of. Yeah. Well, know? but imagine a life. Imagine living before radio or TV. I don't know how much we can actually imagine that. No, we can't. And think about the whole, the lack of entertainment and the lack of big things that happen. Because most people didn't move around as much. I mean, I guess they did here. They're all settlers in a, a newish outpost. Mm-hmm. But just think about the lack of entertainment other than reading. Right. I still don't think I would have gone to a public hanging. I could be wrong. To me, the idea of watching Bread Rise is more interesting <laughs> than watching that. Yeah. But, um, you know, that that happened very early on in the book. But yeah. I, I was like, ugh, I just don't. Yeah. It was interesting because, like, the, it was three men who were hung and then are hanged. Mm-hmm. Here's that word again. <laughs> And then there's three of them off on the adventure. Mm-hmm. So I thought, interesting. Because it's very biblical in tone, this book. Mm-hmm. So it's very Old Testament. Because she is an old... Maddie, who's the narrator, is an older woman who's ta- telling this story. She's looking back and telling right. this story. And she knows her Bible inside and out. Even as a 14-year-old, she knew the law... So she must have done a lot of reading mm-hmm. of, because, you know, the lawyer, she's constantly mentioning his name, is obviously a good family friend as well, right. too, it seems. That's how she kind of um, gives herself more of a powerful position, because when she tries to hire a rooster, he's like, you, you don't have any money, you know, and she says, I do have money, and then she calls up this lawyer's name, you know, he will assure you that you will get paid this money, right. you know. Well, because she sells the horses. Right. So her dad had been going to buy the wild Mustang ponies, and she actually negotiates with the man who had sold them to her father to repurchase them. Right. And he was just like, I'm not going to give you money for those. But in the end, like, she so tortures him <laughs> with logic that he ends up giving her the money that she wants for the ponies that he buys back for another horse, and then she comes back. I think he said they were $10 a piece, these ponies, and he was going to sell them to a glue factory. Right. And she says, well, that's a shame to sell these spirited animals to a glue factory. And he's like, well, I'm I'm hopeful that the deal will fall through or something like that. (laughs) So then when she comes back later and says, I want to buy one of these ponies for $10, he's like, well, that's the lot price. She She's like, well, that was the market price earlier today. And so she ends up with him buying the ponies and getting everything she wants financially, right. which is great. She was, a, she was a great negotiator. Yeah. And she needed to buy a pony because she was ending up going on this trip to ca- try to catch Tom Cheney, who right. was the guy who yeah. killed her dad. Because I think the U.S. government would pay the marshal something like $2 a day if he brought the guy back. Right. And Maddie offers him... $100. So she gives him $25 to start, was going to give him the full balance when he was actually captured. Right. But then when Labeef comes along, there's reward money because the bad guy had also shot a congressman in Texas. Right. So there, then he gets involved, and Rooster's drawn to him just for the money of the reward from that. Right. Because Rooster is an old alcoholic, not exactly a good man. He's right. robbed banks in the past himself. 
he rode with Quantrill, who had a reputation in Kansas of being a murderer and not, you know, just a raider. So... Right, it begs the question of, like, well, what makes someone gritty, right? You know, and what does she... I wanted to read that um, one of our listeners that goes by the handle Foxed Folios on Goodreads had this quote from Maddie where she said, But I had not the strength nor the inclination to bandy words with a drunkard. What have you done when you have bested a fool? That's awesome, right? I have that one written down, too. I love yeah. that quote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of Maddie's, like, she was, you know, this, just dealing with these men that she yeah. kind of had to be out and about with to deal, you know, to get take care of business, but they were dealing with a drunkard who's mm-hmm. carrying a weapon who's right. supposed to be helping you yeah. has some problems. Exactly, you know? yeah. She said another time to him, I would, I would not put a thief in my mouth. To steal my brains. Right. That's what she says about <laughs> drinking. But she is so righteous. Yes. You know, in her her youth. But obviously she has great responsibility in her family, being the eldest child. And it seems like she was her dad's right-hand person. Right. That she is just a force in herself. Yeah. Which was then interesting to look at the movie adaptations. I was really curious mm-hmm. to see how she was depicted. Right, another one of our listeners called her a feisty protagonist, and I love that term, feisty. Totally feisty. I I love this girl's voice and and just the righteousness of her. Yeah. Yeah. Without any kind of showiness Mm -hmm. or ego even. Like I don't I didn't see see her as having an ego at all. It was more like this is the mission. Right. She had a task at hand. It's like kinda like the and the Old Testament thing, like eye for an eye. Right. Well, so you watched both movies after reading the book. I did. I've watched the John Wayne version, and I had watched the Coen Brothers version when it came out, mm-hmm. which I don't know how many years ago that was now. And I, I have to say, this may be my one and only John Wayne movie. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I watched some when I was a kid that okay. I don't remember. So. Yeah. So what did you think of the movie? I liked it. Yeah. I liked the John Wayne version. I think more than the Coen brother version because it was a little bit closer to the book in huh. some ways. They did change some things here and there. Obviously, John Wayne was the star. Right. Glenn Campbell plays LaBeef, which, which I is thought hilarious. was like, I was like, holy crap, it's Glenn Campbell, which surprised me. I like that version. But again, like I said, John Wayne is the star. Right. They don't totally change things too much mm-hmm. plot wise. The Coen brothers, I didn't like a lot of the elements. That they put in, and then they had times when Lebeef and Rooster and Maddie split up, and and I thought, uh, how's that going to work? Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was necessary, hmm. so I don't know why they made those choices. But, but they did make it more from her perspective. I think the Coen Brothers were was more from Maddie's perspective. I thought I didn't think so. You didn't think so. I didn't think so. Hmm. I thought it was more about the guys. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Then compared to the John Wayne version, I thought I'll have to watch it again because I don't. I did think the John Wayne, like I laughed a lot at the John yeah. Wayne version just because I thought it, had it was good humor. Goofy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it but was. See, goofy. And a lot of people said on our Goodreads page that they thought the book was so funny. Yes, and I just did. I missed that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had that kind of humor because you don't expect these things from a fourteen-year-old, mm. and like. From her, through her eyes, these men look ridiculous. Yes. You know, Labeef is a Texas Ranger, and there's Rooster, who's a U.S. Marshal, who is, 
just kind of, you know, he is dangerous and mean and mm -hmm. everything, but he's also kind of a joke and just a sad creature. Well, they're also doofuses because there's a scene where they capture two people and they're sitting at a table with these two people that are captured, but they need to get a turkey taken care of, like plucked and chopped up. So they give this guy a knife, a huge knife to butcher the turkey, and he turns to his other partner in crime and just cuts off his oh. four fingers. Well, they, yeah, because he was going to start talking. Right, but it's like you don't give a weapon to someone you're holding captive. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. That part was funny to me, but that's yeah. not what people meant about the book being funny. <laughs> I just thought, wow, yeah, these guys who are in charge aren't very good at being in charge. But, yeah. yeah. You know, total spoiler, they do finally come across Tom Chaney yeah. on this adventure. They do catch him, mm -hmm. and she blows him away. Yeah. She gets to kill him. Yeah. I mean, not like, because there he is, I'm going to kill him right. now. It was because he attacked Labeef, and if you've read the book, you know. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read the book, there's your spoiler. Right. Right. So. But still read it. I mean, I could see this is a book. I could totally read this one again. I know I'm going to keep it. Donna Tart, we are told, reads the audio version. Yeah, and apparently she's in a fantastic narrator. Donna Tart, if you don't know, is the author of A Secret History and The Goldfinch. Yeah. And she wrote this introduction to the book. It was her great-grandmother, I think, or her grandmother, maybe her great-grandmother, who turned the family onto this book. And Because she read it, and she's like, oh, you all have to read this. And they were like, really? Like, I don't really have the same reading taste as my grandmother. But everybody in the family fell in love with this book to the point that, you know, her mom would give it away all the time and get copies for people. And it got to this to the point where the book was no longer in print and she couldn't find it anymore at bookstores or used bookstores. And she'd usually buy up whatever she could. But then Donna Tart writes, In one particularly dark moment, when my mother's last copy had disappeared and a new one was nowhere to be had, she borrowed the library's copy and then pretended she had lost it. <laughs> That's a way to get a copy of a book. Yeah, she says, but now thankfully it's back in print. Right. Um, and it was originally published in 68. Is that right? 1968, I believe. 68, yeah. And then interestingly, the John Wayne movie was in 69. Yes. So yeah. they very quickly made it into a movie, which kind really of surprised quickly. me. I liked both adaptations, but it would be really great to have a woman write the script and a woman direct it. Because mm, mm -hmm. I wonder how they would change things a little bit. Because obviously, you know, part of it is Maddie is really young. She's inexperienced. She's righteous. But she doesn't know what the hell's coming. Which is you know? one of the cool things about kids that age, though, yeah. right? Because they just forge ahead because they don't know not to. Yeah. Right? Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, but there are some scenes like where Labeef is spanking her. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. And when, I, when I saw that it was Glenn Campbell, I'm like... Am I going to see Glenn Campbell brutalizing a young girl? And yes, yeah. he does whack her. And then, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. And then it's Matt Damon who plays Labeef right. in the Cone Brothers. Right. And I thought he was a great Labeef. I really liked the way he played him. Because he has this way of of being just so, so you know, cocky in that way. Because when he says, I'm a Texas Ranger, he kind of opens his coat and reveals his, his star. Right. And he kind of looks away a little bit like, I'm a Texas Ranger. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God, that is so good. 
See, I didn't think Glenn Campbell could act to save his life. No, he really couldn't. Yeah. But he was so popular back then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't bad. He got a little bit better, I think, as the movie went on, maybe. You could tell he couldn't ride a horse, either. Yeah. Or that he didn't ride regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I love this book. And I guess the good thing about the movies was the scenery. Yeah. And um, our friend Kate sent us a lovely email about her feelings about the book said, and I'm not sure if she really means this or if she's just trying to get some brownie points with my fellow cougar, <laughs> that she thought that the um, scenery, she sensed Willa Cather in the scenery. Hmm. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I think that's probably true. I just haven't read yeah. any Willa Cather, so I can't say. She also said that the landlady character, which we haven't talked about, Maddie stays at this boarding house when she's in the town collecting her father's body and then waiting for her adventure to begin and the landlady's kind of some of the scenes at the table are hilarious with her and she said that the landlady reminded her of the landlady at the edge of the orchard by tracy chevalier Hmm. um not nearly as well known or as good as the girl with the pearl earring but another book by tracy chevalier and she also, oh, she, she talked about that. There's a scene where Maddie at the very end ends up in a pit. Like oh, she yeah. falls down this pit and she's stuck and the pit is filled with snakes, which actually has yes. been done. <laughs> yeah. And she, she said she, that, that's, that there was a scene like that in The Great Alone by Christine Hanna. It also reminded me of um, one of the Indiana Jones, remember, where they mm-hmm. fall into some pit of snakes. And yeah. so she talked about that a little bit more. And she was wondering if that's a, a trope. You know, and where that originally came from, because that's a scene you do read about people falling into pits of doom, essentially, you know. Yeah, I wonder if there's a pit. I mean, I know snakes are big in the Bible, Mm. but I wonder if there's some kind of pit. I mean, the pit of despair. Mm. Yeah. Because there's so much backstory that you can kind of glimpse in this Mm. novel that I wonder maybe if there's Mm. something biblical like that or not, or, I mean, things like that. Yeah. She also talked, Kate talked about the scout from To Kill a Mockingbird comparing her to Maddie in True Grit. And I think that's one of kind of like an age thing again, of you know, where you're in an age where you're seeing the world in a certain way and you're just going to have your plan and forge ahead. And then, you know, you kind of experience life and are surprised by things that happen, you know. Right. Which is how we learn as we go. Right. You know. Exactly. So. You know, and one thing about the, the Cullen Brothers movie ver- adaptation is it ends with her being an old lady mm-hmm. with one arm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, pick, to depict her. Yeah. And the John Wayne version is, you know, that just ends with him actually visiting her at the homestead right. because she says that you're going to be buried here and then he rides off. Right. And Whereas, she has one arm because she does. She has one arm because she loses it. Even, oh, and that scene with Blackie, the horse. Mm-hmm. So and I weeped. Yeah. I wept. <laughs> I weeped. I weep now and I wept then. <laughs> it was so sad. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think it's interesting that the Coen brothers did that because it's easy to forget that the story is her telling as an older woman this thing that happened in her past. Yeah. Because I just got lost in the story as if it was her telling it then. Right, you know, yeah. And her experiencing it. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
an excellent choice for a read-along. I think it's a good Western. I mean, it's very different some, uh, from some other Westerns I've read, and that some of our other listeners on the Goodreads page said that, that it really surprised them. They, you know, were kind of reticent about reading a Western, and then when they got to it, were just loved it. Yeah. So, and reminder to people, too, that that Goodreads page exists forever as far as we're concerned yeah. <laughs> so, so jump can, in anytime. yeah jump in it's like having yeah. an online book club and you know please if you get a chance to read it or watch them one of the movies or whatever get in there and let us know what you think about it absolutely and i wonder what his other books are like yeah i don't know i don't know anything about him mm-hmm. i meant to read about him just the author and i didn't get a chance charles portis not thomas portis as charles i portis. <laughs> reported earlier yeah <laughs> And we should say, too, that there's going to be a re- limited re-release of True Grit, the Western, with John Wayne, in the theaters. In May, and, I think. Yeah, I think in yeah. May. We'll find those dates, and yeah. we'll put a link in if really you want to cool. see it on the big screen. Because it is beautiful. The yeah. scenery is gorgeous. Yeah, it was. It was very sweeping. Very Willa Catherask, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Yes, thank you, Kate. <laughs> Instead of doing upcoming reads, we are going to, because we're finished with a read-along now, we must inform you about the next thing coming. We have a a double-header read-along coming up this June right? in partnership with another podcaster. Very excited. Jenny Colvin of Reading Envy. We are going to read two books. One will be discussed on her podcast, and one will be discussed on our podcast. On our podcast. And now, drumroll, these are southern books. Jenny lives in the south. We're going to take you down there. Uh, Resolve the matter of Emily not having read any Willa Cather. (laughs) We're going to read first on Jenny's podcast, Gone Gone with with the the Wind Wind by Margaret Mitchell. Big book. Yes, it's a chunkster. I believe Jenny is going to set up the read-along on her Goodreads group, so we will get you information about that. We haven't. Locked in our dates yet. We know it's going to be June. She, on her read-alongs, I believe, she kind of breaks the book into different sections to talk about. Yes, which will be helpful for yeah. this book because it is over 900 pages. Yeah, be ready. It is a big book, but it is also a book that I, I read it maybe 20 years ago, and it surprised me. Mm-hmm. It was better than I thought it would be. People and I Because I, I love the yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed God of the Wind. It won't seem as long when you're reading it. And then the book we will be reading on our podcast is Safira and the Slave Girl by Willa Cather. Which also takes place in the South and yes. has a very different, I believe, vantage point of slavery than Gone with the Wind. Yes. Right? Some people talk about Gone with the Wind. One of the criticisms is it's a little nostalgic about slavery from the white southerners perspective and sphere and the slave girl is based on a true story in cather's life as a child in virginia of a former slave seeing her mom again for the first time after slavery ends but this is a story the time during slavery so safira mm-hmm. and her slave girl who is named nancy and um I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to read them back to back. Yeah. So we will probably on the next episode have more firm dates and but we will open up the Goodreads page on our group for Safira and the Slave Girl. Um, once this episode airs, that yes. will be live as well. Yeah. yeah, so we hope you'll join us for both of those books or one or the other. We'd love to have you along for that. 
There I, also are audio. I know there's an audio of Gone with the Wind. I'm not sure if there is a Spear in the Slave Girl, I would think. I would think, too, but I don't know. I'll, we'll find yeah, out we'll about that. Yeah, we'll look that up and let you know. Yeah, and one thing, too, for those of you who like Pat Conroy, we know that there are a lot of Pat Conroy fans out there. Um, he had written about his mom's love of Gone with the Wind, who his mom read the book constantly, apparently, and gave it to gifts to everyone. So that was a book that really shaped his childhood. And she read it to him, right, yes. as a child. Yeah, yeah. she read yeah. it to the kids a lot. So that's so. part of how we came to these, because we started down a Pat Conroy path and then ended up with these two books. So I know. Isn't that exciting. amazing? Yeah. Yeah, how yeah. that happens. All, All right. right, everybody. Until next time, happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.